Our scripture today comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 5, 10. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. This is the word of our Lord. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believed, and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light moment. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. All right, thank you, Bree. Um, so, uh, last week, uh, I started out with a, uh, introduction about someone's basketball and I'm doing it again this week, but in this one, I'm, I'm less of a jerk, uh, and, um, you might even feel sorry for me, so that'll be good. Uh, so I want to share about why I quit basketball after ninth grade. So, um, uh, it wasn't because I didn't like basketball. It was actually probably my favorite sport. Um, but looking back, uh, I think I, I quit after my ninth grade year uh, for, three year uh, for, for three reasons. One, wasn't that good. Uh, so I, I, I wasn't terrible. I was good enough to make the team, uh, but I spent a lot of time on the bench, which makes it less fun, right? Uh, two, uh, the people in front of me were better than me. Uh, they weren't just better than me. They also worked harder than me. They were, they were putting more into it than I was willing to do. Like they quit all other sports and they were kind of honing in on that, going to the gym early in the morning, late at night, and I didn't see myself doing that. Uh, and then third, since I didn't play much and I didn't think I ever would, I, I didn't feel like it really mattered to the team. 
Uh, and went on to happen is uh, I quit, and then the next three years, they won multiple state championships. So this isn't one of those triumphant, like, I quit, and then they need to be back if we want. Like, no, no, they were completely fine without me. Um, so, so the point of what, what I want to share today is, like, look, if you're not good at something, just quit. I mean, <laughs> come on. Quit wasting your time. No, obviously that's a joke, um, kind of. But, uh, but here, here's what I, what I do want to say. What, 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 uh, what I want to consider is this pattern that, that led me to quit and, and how that pattern can be picked up sometimes maybe in our, in our Christian life in some ways. And look, here's the thing. It's, it was okay for me to quit basketball. I mean, you don't have to play every sport. I don't have to play every sport. Um, and so anyway, it's okay to quit in certain things, right? It's not a virtue. Like, you can, never can quit anything. Some things are just it's, it's better to quit, right? But there's some things you, you must not quit and, and where perseverance isn't just an option. Like, you must persevere and continue. And so what I want to do is consider how this same pattern that caused me to quit basketball could creep into our perspective in the way we think about uh, Christianity, the way we think about the gospel. And we can either quit and kind of lose faith, uh, or we can kind of go into that place where, you know, we, we might not feel comfortable just quitting and losing faith, but, man, we'll certainly act like it, right? And so, so here's, a, here's a pattern that I think can discourage Christians that's similar to kind of my discouragement in basketball. So, so first, you might just think, when you're thinking about your life as a, as a Christian, as a believer, first you just might think, I'm not good at this. Like, everybody else seems pretty good at the Bible, Christian crowd, or whatever, and, and I just don't think that's me. That's not my personality. Like, if there's such a thing as, like, a good Christian or a strong Christian, I, I know those people, but it's, it's not me. And so that's the first thing that can discourage you. You're just thinking, like, I'm just not good at it. And then second, it might be since I'm not good and I'm not as motivated as others, I'm, I might as well not even try. I mean, why put all, in all the work if it's just not me? And then third, since I'm not very good at being a Christian and I'm not really doing anything important, then I must not really matter, Right? I mean, there, there's a sense where you can think, just as a believer, as a Christian, that you don't really matter to the kingdom of God, to the church, that you could just kind of disappear. And, and if you're honest with yourself, it's like, it wouldn't matter. Like, no one would notice me gone. And so anyway, it'd be easy to think like that. And probably all of us have struggled in different vari variations of these three things. But here's the thing. We're all prone to being discouraged um, when, when you're younger, you're discouraged about certain things, and you think that when you're older, those things will go away. Like, s some good news, some of that stuff does just go away. <laughs> the bad news is you get a whole new set of problems and things to be discouraged about. And those of us who are older think back to the good old days when we didn't have to worry about the things that we're currently worrying about or discouraged. So look, the whole point of there is just like whether you're young, old, whatever season of life, there's just loads of stuff for you to be discouraged about. So, so there's no, like, we won't be discouraged once this happens or once that happens. We're just going to be facing deep discouragement pretty consistently throughout our lives. And look, and, and for a lot of us, the, the way we range on that will probably differ. Some of us might experience somewhat of a mild, low-grade sense of discouragement that just kind of is kind of remaining, you know. just Little things tend to happen often, and it just kind of frustrates you. And others of us might be in a season or have been in seasons of, of borderline despair where you just think, you know, you might not be suicidal, but you might just think, gosh, if the Lord took me now, be okay with me. I'm so tired and worn out with life, right? So, so we're all going to range uh, in, in, in those two different uh, places as far as discouragement goes. And here's the thing. 
if in these moments you're discouraged, which we're all going to have, if in these moments you don't have a biblical perspective, then, then these discouraging moments are, are going to be really, really bad for you. It maybe even cause a lot of harm. And look, throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul is, throughout 2 Corinthians, the whole book, you see this thread of him showing off. But, but it's not the kind of showing off that you would think it would be. He's, he's showing off his weaknesses. And even like we were making the icon for the 2 Corinthians, I was saying like, what if we just put weakness up there? Because that's the thread that runs all the way through uh, the letter uh, 2 Corinthians. And so, so, but as he does this, there are some things that we can learn about Paul and his weakness and, and, and the, the discouragement that he faced along the way. And there are three things that I think we see that are true about Paul in this passage, and I think those three things are true about us as well. So when, when Paul refers to himself and his friends in the ministry here t- t- towards the Corinthians, he refers to himself uh, or, or his little band of brothers as jars of clay. And then he goes on to tell the Corinthians why they should be of good courage. And then he ends by telling them they are accountable for their lives, which implies that they matter, that there's purpose for them. So, so, so with that in mind, here are, my, here are my three points, the three things that I think are true about Paul that I think are also true about us. So here are my three points. We are jars of clay, number one. Number two, we should be of good courage. And number three, we are accountable. So first, we are jars of clay. Now, you you might remember in the last two weeks, we talked about the new covenant. And I've described the new covenant as being different from the old covenant in this, and that the old covenant was written on tablets of stone, right? Think about Moses at Mount Mount Sinai, and, and there's the law of God that's written on tablets. And where the new covenant is different, rather than it being an external thing, it becomes an internal thing where God, through the Holy Spirit, writes the law of God on our hearts. And more than that, as we talked about last week, gives us eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the new covenant does something internally to us. Where the old covenant was an external law to follow, the new covenant changes us uh, internally, writes the law on our heart, and stirs our affections for Jesus. Not just a sense of being a good kid or being right or whatever. It's a a sense of, of glory in the face of Jesus Christ that you begin to love. That's what the new covenant does. And so Paul's new covenant ministry, that's what all he's doing in the, in, the, in the New Testament, it's a new covenant ministry, and it's supernatural. That means the power belongs to God. Like Paul is working really hard, and he's doing a lot of things, but he says over and over throughout his letter that the real power, the thing that's making the, the difference is it's, is it's God's work. It's a supernatural thing. And that's why he says what he says in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So, so that's how Paul sees himself. He doesn't see himself as particularly impressive, but he does see himself as a vessel for something pretty special. And that something pretty special, that treasure that he possesses, begins to show itself the most when he is at his weakest. And so that brings a paradox about in Paul's life, because that means he is at his best when he is at his worst. And and look at how this idea oozes out in chapter 4, verse 8 through 12. So follow with me in chapter 4, verse 8 through 12. Paul writes, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that, whenever you see so that in scriptures, 
Like you need to check that out. What's he going to say? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Here it is. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul is saying he's suffering. He is afflicted in every way. He's crushed, persecuted, struck down, carrying in the body of death of Jesus. But he also adds this, I'm not crushed. I'm not despairing. I'm not destroyed. And what's more than all that is in all these afflictions, something really cool is happening with Paul. And what we see is happening is at the end of uh, verse 10. In their affliction, the life of Jesus is being manifested in them. And so while death is at work in them, life is at work in the Corinthians. It almost seems like the weaker that Paul gets, the more powerful he becomes. Or to put it another way, the more he sees himself as a simple jar of clay, the brighter the treasure inside is going to shine. And you know what that means for us? That what that means for us is that we should change the way we view our weakness and discouragement. Because when we are weak, when we are deeply discouraged, that might be the time when we can actually be the strongest. Because as we begin to embrace our weakness, rather than pretending that we have it figured out or that we're strong or that we're important, we begin to show off our weakness, to own where we are vulnerable, maybe a bit embarrassed of ourselves, maybe where we have shame. And when we begin to own that, that we are simply jars of clay, that, that the, the thing that's great about us isn't the external things that we try to show off, but the weakness inside that begins to show off the treasure inside of us, may, maybe then the life of Jesus will begin to be manifested in us. And rather than fake power that we're trying to present to the world, maybe there will be real power. And when the power of God was at work in Paul, things happen. Look at chapter 4, verse 15. He says, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Perhaps the obstacle to you being an influence on others is that you haven't come to terms with being a jar of clay. Is that you're, you're pretending to be somebody. You're pretending to be something that you're not. You're trying to hide weakness and display strength. But if you did, Embrace that you are a jar of clay. Perhaps great, you would say grace extend to more and more people where people would thank and give glory to God. And so you need to know that your greatest gift to the church and those outside the church probably doesn't come from your strengths, but rather it probably comes from your weaknesses. Now look, to be clear, God does give his people gifts and, and these could be described as strengths. But I think even those gifts and strengths that God has given us, but when, when we are at our weakness, those strengths and gifts begin to manifest themselves more clearly and more powerfully when we're weak. So if, if we're like Paul and we are at our best when we're at our worst, then there's a sense we should be of good courage. And that's my second point. We, are of, we should be of good courage Look at verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16. Paul writes, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So again, we have this paradox. 
Paul's saying, my outer self is wasting away, but as that is going down, there's something internally that is renewing within me. So for the mature Christian, the process of their outer self wasting away in whatever form that's taken, whatever way your outer body is becoming weaker or wasting away, there should be simultaneously something internally that is being provoked, that is renewing your soul. And, and, and one of the reasons this should happen is because the superficial external hope that we might have begins to go away. And as that goes away, a new hope, a renewing hope begins to brew up to the surface. And, and this is kind of the, the line of Paul's thought here. Look in uh, chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Paul writes this. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are, e- that are unseen are eternal. So Paul sees this affliction as momentary, as something that's going to pass. And more than that, he sees his afflictions in this life as setting the table for a future glory that is beyond comparison. And and this is training him to have a different perspective on life. It's training him to look at what is unseen and eternal rather than what is seen and transient. That's coming and going. And so, look, it's better to view things through the lens of what is unseen and eternal. Well, let me ask you this. Is it better to, to view life through the lens of what is unseen or eternal, or is it better to view things uh, that are seen, transient, maybe superficial? So which one? Is it better? Is it unseen and eternal, or is it seen, superficial, and transient? Like, look, it's a stupid question. It's all stuff. We know what the Bible answer is, right? But here's, here's what I want to push at, is that... We, on paper, we agree. Yeah, it's better to have an eternal perspective than a, than a superficial perspective. We all agree with that. But do you want it? And you might not really want it. And here's why. You know how you get it? What are we looking at in the text? You suffer affliction to get that. And so do you want it? Like, do you want a good life or do you want to see what is unseen uh, or, or do you want to pursue what is unseen and eternal? Look, this is tough. I mean, this is a day-to-day thing, you know? Like, how are you doing on this? Man, check. <laughs> Every day might change. Every hour, right? But look, we should want it. And the reason we should want it is because there's glory on the other end of it. And the idea that there's glory on the other end of affliction should give us good courage to face afflictions for Jesus' sake. And look, it's good for us to have a sense of accepted dissatisfaction with this life. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be a downer. I, I, I hope I'm going to spin this around to where, where you, do, you don't feel like this is just a depressing message. But look, I'm saying that we should have a sense of accepted dissatisfaction with this life. And I don't mean people should be grumblers or like Eeyore with a cloud going over them all the time. But here, here's what I'm saying is that sometimes we can almost view this life as if it's heaven. Like everything should work out right now. Like the theologians would call this an overrealized eschatology. That means we think the time to come has, has already come now. And in a sense, it has, but it hasn't fully come. And there's just this sense when we expect this life to be like heaven, then, man, we are going to be deeply discouraged throughout. And so what we need to do is consider this life in light of the next, when our redemption is full. And we should see this life as hopelessly falling short of the ideal. 
Things will often go bad. We will often be discouraged. And we should long and even groan for the world to come. Right? This isn't the world to come. The world to come is when redemption is in full. And this world is currently plagued by sin, the curse, and death. Look at what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. He says this. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may, be found, we, may, we, we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So Paul is saying here that his earthly home, or as he calls it, is a tent. That's his body, right? So Paul is referring to his body, his earthly home, as a tent. And look, tents are okay. We, we go camping from time to time, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's an okay time, right? It kind of ranges between like, hey, this is fun, and why are we doing this, right? This is miserable, right? You're sleeping on the cold ground floor. Uh, as Jim Gaffigan says, hey, anybody want to burn two vacation days and go sleep on the cold floor? <laughs> um, and so the idea about camping is that it's, it's tough. It's, it's rough. You're, you're, you're roughing it, right? And there's a sense where nobody wants to live in a, in a tent forever, Right? Unless maybe they're like smoking pot, falling the Grateful Dead around, right? Like nobody in their right mind thinks, let's live in a tent for all our days. This is, this is the good life. No, people want to live in a home. But I think we get, we get confused because what Paul is saying is that this life is more like camping, right? The age to come is home. And what we're in now is camping. And, and this is kind of a, a roughing it type situation that we shouldn't expect it to be. When you're, when you're camping, you shouldn't have the expectations of home life on that tent life. Have y'all ever heard of uh, glamping? Anybody ever heard of that word? It's short for glamour and camping, which two things that don't go together. But, but basically what people will do is they'll, they'll try to, to glam up camping, and, and, and they'll try to add the luxuries of home to the, to the camping experience. And look, I, I get that. It sounds kind of neat, maybe. I kind of think, just don't go camping. Um, but <laughs> but the, here's the thing. The, the thing about camping, it's supposed to be rough, right? I mean, th- that's part of why you go. That's part of the insanity of it, right? You're, it's, it's supposed to be a bit uncomfortable. It's supposed to be roughing. And, and camping is a mindset, right? Like, like, you don't take the home mindset to the tent with you. You have a camping mindset. And life in this body is like camping compared with the age to come. And so we shouldn't have age to come expectations for this age. We shouldn't have the luxuries of home expectations on the roughing camping trip. And if you think this life is supposed to work out perfectly like it will in the age to come, then you will be constantly and deeply disappointed. And the miseries of this life should trigger our hope for the next and listen to what Paul says in 5.2. He says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So, so with this mind, we take up courage and we fight the good fight. Look at verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. He says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 
So he says twice here in verse 6 and 8 that we are of good courage. And why is he of good courage? Because he walks by faith in light of what is unseen rather than by sight. Like someone camping might say, look, it's better to be at home than a tent. Paul says in verse 8, it's better to be away from our body and at home with the Lord. While we are here in this tent, though, while we're roughing it, we have a goal. We have our aim. And it says there in the text, we make it our aim to please him, or make it our aim to please Jesus. And look, what, one negative consequence of, of, of taking this idea of kind of the age that we're in is, is tough and we're roughing it. It's kind of like camping. We live in a tent rather than at home. Is Some people can go too far and be like, look, th- this age, this world is so bad. We just kind of need to hang on until glory, right? We just try to make it till we die and get saved because this life is just going to be bad all the way around, right? And so there's an overreaction to the, the fallenness and broken of this world that kind of says we just want to hang on till glory, kind of get in our little huddle as a church and hang on, right? But that would obviously be an overreaction because in this life, we should be aiming to please Jesus, knowing that in the end, we will give an account of ourselves to Jesus himself. That's my third point, is that we are accountable. Look at chapter 5, verse 10. Paul writes, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Have you ever thought about why God hasn't taken you yet? Have you ever thought why, why you haven't died yet? You know, we, we often think this when someone dies, especially when they, when they die early, we think, gosh, God, why did you take this person so early? Or why did you take this person? Why did you let that happen? But we don't ask the other question as much. Like, God, why haven't you taken me yet? Why, why am I still here? And look, if we think about the things that have happened to people who have passed away, like, couldn't we have all died about a thousand different ways by now? Some of us may more than others. But like all of us had our times where, or, or even things that we wouldn't even have known where, where we could have been taken out just randomly. Why hasn't God taken us out yet? That's a good question for us to ponder. You know, sometimes when people have these near-death experiences, they think that instinctively. Have you ever talked to someone and they had a near-death experience and it was kind of a miracle that they survived or this happened and they say, God must want me around, you know? Look, if you're not dead, God wants you around. You, you don't need a near-death experience to, to think that. So, so here, we shouldn't require that, but, but God does have things for us to do. He, he didn't just save you so you can hold on and try to make it to heaven, try to make it to glory. He saved you to do stuff, right? All right, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. A lot of you probably know this verse by heart, but I, I just want you to, I, I want to couple this with something that to me is, it, it seems so clear. And a lot of times when we get the gospel, we might, we might forget about this part, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It's a glorious couple of verses. It says this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the gospel, right? And it is glorious and beautiful that by grace through faith, not by works, we are saved by the work of Jesus, by trusting in what he did, and the only thing we bring to the table is our sin and rebellion, right? Like he saved us through and through by grace, and we just by faith have to look on to Jesus, believe on that, repent from sins, and that's the gospel, and it is glorious. Now keep reading, 
chapter 2, verse 10 in Ephesians. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him, in them. So there are things for you to do that God has prepared, prepared beforehand. And you need to do those things that God has prepared, prepared beforehand for you to do. The things that he has prepared for you to do are not for others to do. They're for you to do, right? And look, you're going to give an account at the end about this. And look, it, it, doesn't have, it doesn't have anything in the world to do with your salvation, right? These things that God has prepared. Like you, we see how we're saved, by grace through faith. And then there are, there's work to do. It has nothing to do with, being, with, 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 with uh, our salvation, but it is what saved people do. So if you are a Christian, if you can check that box, and you are alive, you can check that box. God has specific things that he has prepared, prepared beforehand for you to do. And more than that, you will give an account for those things that he has prepared for you to do. That implies you matter. If there are works to be done that he has prepared beforehand for you to do, not someone else to do, that means you matter. If you are accountable to Jesus Christ, you matter. If you're alive, there's something he has for you to do. I'm not sure what it is. You might not know what it is. I'll tell you how we find it. It's by knowing the scriptures, being involved in the life and the mission of the church, giving ourselves to God and his purposes. And so, look, I, I wouldn't try to pretend to say I know specific things, but here's what I know. I, I know you didn't just get saved and that's it and just hang on till you die. There's things for you to do. And those things that he's given you to do, you will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ, as we see in the word of God, chapter 5, verse 10. Now, in closing, this is kind of a big passage. Uh, let, let me try to sum everything up. Um, first, we are like jars of clay. We're weak and we're fragile. But the good stuff isn't the external stuff that we can see. It's the treasure within it's, and I don't just mean your personality. I mean the, the gospel, the, the, the new covenant, Jesus Christ in you, his life being manifested in you. That's the treasure in the jars of clay. Jesus is manifested in us and through us in our weakness. And do you want to tap into the surpassing power of God? If the answer is yes, then name and embrace your weakness. Second, be of good courage. In the new heaven and new earth, we will look back on this life like a camping trip. <laughs> that went, went really bad, right? That it's going to look rough. And so don't set your hope on the temporary camping trip. Like if you're camping and somebody complains about the food, you should say, we're camping. You know, lower the expectations. And so look, when it comes to eternity, the new heaven, new earth, we're camping. It's supposed to be hard. We're roughing it for now, right? We, we hope for, for home, but for now, we're camping. So be of good courage, because right now we are away, but one day we will be at home with the Lord. And finally, know this. God has prepared specific works for you to do, and they're for you to do, not other people to do. And those things that he has prepared for you to do, you will give an account for those things. Like the parable of the talents that Jesus shared, where, where the master went away, came back with the servants, he gave, you know, ten, five, and one talent, and he, he came and he settled accounts with them, you will, you will have the same. You, you will give it, there will be a day where you will give an account to God for your life. Nothing to do with salvation, 
but you will give an account of yourselves to God. That means you matter. If you're accountable, you matter. There's things for you to do. So in light of all this, may God help us to make it our aim to live lives that please Jesus. May we embrace our weakness. May we be of good courage and live as if we're going to give account of ourselves to Jesus himself. Because we will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how aware are we that we are like jars of clay? Externally, we bring very little to the table. But through the gospel, through the work of Jesus Christ, through the promise fulfilled of the new covenant, we do have treasure within, like Paul did, the gospel, the new covenant, Jesus Christ in us. And so we have reason to be of good courage, knowing that we are in a um, uh, in this tent, in a time of roughing it, we are not home yet. Would you give us good courage to persevere through the dark days? And Lord, would you help us to be faithful with all that you put before us? Would you help us to not retreat in fear uh, or to pretend to be strong when we're not? But would you help us to be faithful to do all that you set before us all of our days? In Jesus, in your name that we pray, amen.